Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here this morning. Good morning to all of you watching and listening online up north in Port Perry or anywhere around the world. We want to say a Merry Christmas to you. Today we begin our new series based on the Christmas story and we're so glad that you've decided to enter into this story again, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth. Our theme this year is Pilgrims and Pioneers, and most of you who have been with us know this, and I went back this week to begin to relook at that word pilgrim, and I don't know why it shocked me, but when I actually begin to do the etymology of the word pilgrim and its, its roots, I found out that pilgrim is a religious word. It simply reads like this in the dictionary, a pilgrim is a traveler, literally someone who comes from a faraway place, who's on a journey to a holy place. Now, like I shared in September, when you hear the word pilgrim today or pilgrimage, it seems foreign, old, irrelevant. It feels like an old movie or a long lost time. It reminds us of medieval monks, something not relevant to us today. And in a world that we have so much access to information and we can go anywhere or Google anything, it seems almost archaic. A few weeks ago, I suddenly realized that Google Earth was literally mapping every single city on Earth, and I wondered if I could actually show my kids where I grew up in Ecuador. So I went on Google Earth and began to walk down the street where I grew up, and to my shock, I walked right up to my front door on Google Earth. And I grabbed my children, and I said, when I was your age, I want to show you. So I moved them from my school to my house, from my house to the church that I used to attend in 1985 in those ancient times. And in that moment, I was showing them, and it was just, again, struck me. We have access to everything, whether it's virtual or literally, we now in our time, unlike any other period in history, can travel and fly almost everywhere. In other words, everything seems explored. Everything now seems sort of understood. And the unexplored and the mysterious don't seem any, any more powerful, uh, uh, much more powerful. And so what we're left with in our culture is not pilgrimage, but vacation, And like I shared actually in the beginning of September, there's a huge difference between vacation and pilgrimage. Vacations, one wrote, are self-chosen. Destination is escape from reality. Travel is incidental. And the mode of transport, well, it's irrelevant. And we vacation to do one thing. We vacation to consume things. Now, pilgrimage, as we found it in September, is fundamentally different. It's a response to a call. The destination is ultimate reality. The journey is essential to the idea. And actually, the end result is encounter. Now, the truth is, sitting here today in Christmas, here in the GTA, most of us never think about pilgrimage or ever being a pilgrim. And almost all the travel we do is second. It's vacation or it's work. So there are already huge barriers to any person who is genuinely seeking or trying to actually become a pilgrim. And yet, the truth is, some of us do, in this very overly, modernly exposed world, do do this thing called pilgrimage. It was 19 or 20 years ago, I was traveling with friends and strangers on a bus. The day was hot, it was bright, it was beautiful. It was a day we crossed over from Israel into the West Bank. And we were on our way to a place I had heard about my whole life. To Bethlehem. Now, I had 27 plus Christmases under my belt, and I heard about this place my whole life growing up at church. I'd seen it on felt boards in Sunday school, and I had read about it in my comic book Bible, and so I had expectations. And so when we arrived in Bethlehem, the fantasy I had imagined my whole life of a small nothing town surrounded by vast rolling hills of green filled with sheep and shepherds wasn't there at all. 
When I arrived, I found a bustling city of 28,000 people, markets, food, life, dusty, dirty, real, and garbage. And there in the middle of the town was the place we had pilgrimed, pilgrimaged to get to. It was the Church of the Nativity. Now, this church was originally commissioned in 327 AD by Constantine the Great and his mother Helena over the supposed site where Jesus had been born. And so we came and stood outside of this place where Christians had worshipped Jesus for 1,673 plus years or longer. Now, this very old cathedral looked more like a fortress than a church, huge stone walls, bleached white, hues of brown and black, and unlike traditional cathedrals with huge doors, large and wide, to make it easy for many, many people to come in, this door was unbelievably different. The main entrance to the Church of the Nativity is small, and it's narrow, and it's low, and it's not beautifully crafted at all. Actually, it's lopsided. As I approached the door, I realized I couldn't just walk through the door because it was only four feet tall, two feet wide, and because it was lopsided, you had to go in like this. Now, I used to be 65 pounds heavier than I am today, so I found it a very interesting Christmas experience getting into that church. Now, as we, each one of us, bent down, that is literally to get into the church, we had to humble ourselves as we neared the end of pilgrimage. We had to get low to find where Jesus had been born, and so we entered into this incredibly ancient church. The air was thick with incense, many people milling about, priests and the faithful. The walls were covered with icons telling the story of God, and then we were led by a guide to a very specific spot down into a cave-like experience, a grotto. And as we walked down these very slippery, well-worn steps, walked on literally by millions of people over thousands of years, we came to the spot. We arrived finally at this destination. We were literally at the place where Jesus was born. The spot, maybe you know about it, is covered by a silver 14-point star. The whole little grotto is covered by burning candles, surrounded by people in that moment praying and singing and reflecting. I stood there surrounded by the faithful and standing in the environment of literally years of faith looking at the supposed spot I had heard about my whole very life. I mean, this was the place where the whole movement that I'd given my life to began. Uh, This was the place supposedly where God took his first breath and enabled us to become sons and daughters. I mean, this was the first first place where he was literally coming into the world. What struck me as I reflected on that supposed holy moment from 20 years earlier, is as I stood in that moment looking at that star and I had traveled halfway around the earth to see, as I stood later, actually a week later at the empty tomb, these most holy places, these epicenters of pilgrimages, they're just places. I went to the place and it was amazing, yes, and historically significant, yes, and inspiring, yes, and life-changing in the sense it made so much more come to life, yes, but the person that changed the place wasn't even there. It was only holy memory that was sitting there. It was the place where the world was changed a long time ago, and this actually brings this home as we enter into the Advent season. See, whether you're a seeker here this morning or you're a hardcore skeptic and don't believe a word I'm saying, or if you're a new follower of Jesus, or you've followed Jesus for most of your life, no matter who you are or where you are on this journey, pilgrimage, real pilgrimage, is never to a place. Old or new, virtual or physical, it's always to a person, a living person, actually the same person that was born over 2,000 years ago on that spot. But let's come back to reality. Most of us here go on vacation to consume and escape, or we travel for work, 
A few others of us have the privilege or desire to do pilgrimage to find holy places, but when we get to them, there's no guarantee we're going to find the place or the person behind the supposed place. And then there is the reality that there's only one thing that pilgrimage and vacation share in common. Both of them break the normal routine and activity of life. But see, this actually brings us actually to the greatest barrier to becoming a real pilgrim in the 21st century. To vacation is to escape for a season or a week. To, be a pil- uh, to go on pilgrimage is to find a holy place. But again, there's no guarantee that you will find the person who actually changed the world. And yet in our time and in our culture, the other great barrier is just everyday life. We are preoccupied, absorbed, distracted, engrossed by life itself. If you have kids, there's no margin for anything. You're just trying to make life work. Some people are trying to find the next best thing to fix their marriage, and then there's travel, and then there's work, and then there's a new job, and then there's Netflix, and you've got to watch The Crown because it's out, and, and there's grocery lists, and there's bills, and there's work, and there's, and there's family drama, and on and on it goes. It's hard to find any margin to really stop and find anything of significance in the whirlwind that we live in called the GTA. And then others among us actually don't believe that we are preoccupied, we're dissatisfied. Why in the world would we need to find help or meaning or daily bread? I mean, I've got money, and I've got looks, and I've got education. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need to search. I find myself. Everything is fine. The pilgrimage is me, and vacations are fun. End of story. And then many other people sitting here, and many people in our families, and our friends, and in our works, you'll know them. They're just lost. I mean, they're breathing, but they're lost. They're wandering and wandering, and they're drifting. And when you really sit down and you have a conversation with them, they would say there's really no hope or no direction or no purpose in life, and there's no ability to be found or find someone who could help. And, and so what to do? What to do when our world is preoccupied and satisfied and lost? When our world is traveling and exploring everything and nothing is new? And when even our most religious actions called pilgrimage lead us to holy places, but do not actually bring life change or encounter. It's interesting, though our culture is becoming more and more secular by the moment, the season of Christmas still does crash into our preoccupied, satisfied, vacation-hungry, lost selves. This season seems to transcend all of what I've mentioned above. There seems at this moment, just for a few weeks, to be a change in the air in homes and businesses and in malls. Years ago, the great storyteller Max Lucado in his little book, God Came Near, was able to capture this crashing in well. Reflecting on one Christmas Eve so long ago, listen to the words he penned. He says, you know, for a few precious hours he is beheld, that is Christ the Lord. Those who pass the year without seeing him suddenly see him. People who have been accustomed to using his name in vain all year suddenly pause to use it in praise. Eyes now free of blinders of self marvel at his majesty. And all of a sudden, Jesus is well everywhere. He says, I'm writing this on Christmas night. A few hours of cleanup will begin, though. Lights will come down. Trees will be thrown out. Size 36 will be exchanged for size 40. Eggnog will be on sale for half price. And normal life will begin again. December's generosity becomes January's payments, and the magic will begin to fade. But for this moment, the magic is still in the air, and maybe that's why I'm still awake. I want to start praying one thing, he wrote, that those who beheld him today might still look for him next August. And I can't help wonder and linger on this one fanciful thought. If, if he can do so much with such timid prayers, lamely offered in December, how much more could he do if we thought about him and searched for him every single day? See, that's it. In this season of Advent that most of us know so well, Christmas, we actually have an invitation. 
For some of you, it's for the first time to actually start searching for him. And for us who know him, it's to keep with him as we have found him and actually become pilgrims on and on in our minds and our homes and our works and never forget pilgrimages to a person, not a place. By the way, this brings me all the way back 20 years ago to that ancient church, one that I had thought about my whole life, to that city where I stood in the hills outside of that grand city, something did significant take place. Something actually happened to people that were not looking and actually were not pilgrims. Something happened to people who could never afford a vacation to escape. Something actually happened to people living everyday, boring, routine lives. And yet, unexpectedly, these people would become the very first genuine pilgrims, the first pioneers of the kingdom. And to our shock, they are found in a shepherd's field. We find ourselves in the Christmas story at the most basic, most boring, most humble, most everyday, most lost, most preoccupied. If you know the story well, you'll hear it afresh again. If you've never heard it, listen closely. It reads like this in Luke 2.8. There were shepherds that were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, I think many of us know this. Shepherds in that time were outcasts in their society, not because they were ritually unclean or not loved, but because they literally lived with their flocks. In other words, they lived on the edge of society. They were normal, everyday people, blue-collar of the day and average Shepherds in our culture would be those who work at Tim's or McDonald's, a cashier at a grocery store, a janitor in a small apartment building, a a plumber in a small rural town, someone that cleans up at a food court in a mall, or maybe a migrant worker who works 25 minutes north from here picking, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, mushrooms and, and pumpkins. Now, none of these jobs are lesser and none of these people are lesser. But if we ever imagined that there was going to be a world-changing, life-changing event that was going to come from heaven, we would never expect God to show up in a Tim Hortons. We would never, ever expect God to show up beside a young 14-year-old, beside a friar in a McDonald's. None of us would ever consider that God would decide to make his entrance to some janitor in some public school cleaning up after hours. None of us would ever imagine that actually God would enter back into the world and meet a group of mushroom pickers from Mexico who are here for a year on a visa. But see, that is exactly what took place. God's reentrance came to low people, the bottom of power and privilege, into the unexpected. No one would expect God to talk to shepherds. No PhDs in theology, no philosophy, not rich, not powerful, not fashionable. Not known, not trending, not lots of followers, normal, unspectacular, everyday people. And the good news came at that time to peasants, not to rulers, lowly, are lifted up by the power of God. And like in our day and their day, it's always rich versus poor and throne versus lowly, but God comes. And God doesn't saunter in, by the way. God doesn't wander by and God doesn't sort of make it sort of vague. He comes with force. In epic fashion, he breaks into the lost, preoccupied, satisfied rhythm of life. And for the first time in this story, we learn something. The pilgrimage, real pilgrimage, not to holy places, but to holy people, always have to start with God. Real encounters with the living God never start from down here. They always start from upstairs. Now, in Roman culture, it was known for poets and the greatest communicators to write and perform and publicly declare the coming peace and prosperity of the empire at the birth of one who would become the emperor. But this was different. It wasn't the best or the brightest from earth that were called upon at all. But this declaration would be like no other. Can you imagine it? God says to Gabriel, Gabriel, it's time. Everything that we've planned and talked about since your inception, since I made you, is now begun. Go. 
And even though no one was looking and no one was expecting anything at all, this great archangel, the great messenger of God, actually left heaven like a comet plunging down towards the hills outside of Bethlehem. I'm sure most of the shepherds were asleep. Middle of the night, someone watched the sky pitch black. Remember, there was no such thing as modern lights at that moment. The sky filled with stars, campfire burning, sheep smelling. It's an average night, like every other night that they'd experienced their whole life because their fathers did it and their fathers did it and their fathers did it. And suddenly, the normal and unexpected moment takes place. It's literally like the night was ripped open and Gabriel moved from the unseen to the seen where actually the five senses are dominant. From sheer darkness to the point of almost blinding in seconds, I'm sure everything almost seemed to disappear to these shepherds. A man was now hovering above them. Fear, terror, exposed, weak, defenseless. I'm sure he came with such power. I'm sure his presence was incredibly heavy. I'm sure they were terrified, paralyzed. Never forget who these men were. Not only hardworking, these guys fought off wolves for a living. They were not weak and they were not terrified by most things, but here they were like frightened children. But there he was, this grand messenger, powerful, tall, bright, looking human, yet not human. I'm sure their breath was taken away, and I I imagine at that moment their eyes met, and then this hovering being spoke. And it's become so common for us who have grown up in church, but listen to the words. The angel of God appeared to these shepherds, And the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all people. Gabriel, who had already met with Mary and Joseph, now speaks to shepherds. And notice, as his supernatural presence breaks in, which would terrify any of us sitting here, any of you in Port Perry, actually the more terrifying thing is what accompanies him. See, it's not his presence alone that comes. It actually says that he is surrounded by the glory of God. This dawning from on high is marked not only by personal power, but God's presence accompanies this angel. Now, many of you know this because you've been here for a while. This glory is a very unique glory. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. It's the exact same encounter that Moses had when he was given the Ten Commandments. This is the exact same thing that happened when Israel left Egypt and God by day was a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire and literally led the people towards the promised land. This is the exact same presence that happened when Moses used to walk into the tabernacle and meet God like a friend meets with a friend. This is the same presence that actually fell and crashed into Solomon temple in 2 Chronicles 5. This is the same thing that happened at Isaiah and Ezekiel's call to ministry. And later, much later after this moment, when Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, when Stephen is murdered, when the church is birthed and tongues of fire come upon the church, and when Saul becomes Paul, this glory is always connected to God's move. It's the dwelling presence of God. It's the manifest revelation of God. And why does this matter to us? Well, one scholar put it best. He says, this is the axi mundi, The meeting place between heaven and earth, the divine and human, this appearance of the divine glory is remarkable, especially if you were the very first hearer. God's glory is always associated with the temple in Jerusalem, but now it's being manifested on a farm with nothings. God's light and presence is now on a farm. It's a sign of something greater, and it's this. If you'll visit a farm and you'll visit shepherds, he'd actually choose to live in a human heart. The night is pierced by the glory of God, and the angel says those famous words, don't be afraid. God chose to interrupt their preoccupation and satisfaction and lostness. 
And God actually, here's the good news that many of us know, God continues to choose to actually interrupt our preoccupations and our satisfactions and our lostness, and he also actually interrupts our travel and he interrupts our religious pilgrimage with no power. What does the angel say? I bring you good news. What's happening tonight is going to change the fabric of all of human history. Nothing is ever going to be the same after this moment. I bring you the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him will not die but will have everlasting life. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That is what began that moment. And the good, good news will result in one thing, great joy. God has now come for us when we could not get to him and the angel declares this again to the most unlikely of people and here is what he promises humanity. You can have joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, merriment, felicity, enjoyment are found in the face of our creator and it's not just for some people or one class of people, it's for all people, not just Jews, but everyone who's made in the image of God. God's heart is for all people and all families and all cultural groups to know God through Jesus. Well, the angel kept speaking that night, and as he goes, and as his words echoed over that field, each shepherd begins to get it. This is actually happening. This isn't a hallucination. This is not last night's lamb and hummus biting them in a weird way. This is real. And what the angel is saying, they would have understood. Because though they were technically uneducated, all Jewish boys were taught by rabbis when they were young about their faith. And they would have known the prophecies that had been promised to the Jewish people. Listen to what Gabriel said. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they'd say, of course he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, we, we've known this 700 years before this very moment. We, we knew the prophet Micah had been inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. And of course he's coming from the line of King David. And maybe you've never made this connection before, but let me make it for you today. David was the greatest of the Jewish kings. And actually God says this was a man after his own heart. Now actually penned most of the Psalms that we use today. And what did Samuel say to David so long ago in 2 Samuel 7, 8? Now then tell my servant David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, David, from tending sheep. And I have appointed you over to be a ruler over my people. David was a shepherd. They are shepherds. And what's being inferred here is the one that is about to be born will be one too. So heaven is now saying to nobodies and to normal and to boring, he's going to be like us in some way. And the angel says, oh yes, he's going to be exactly like you and yet so much more. See, by his names, he's revealed. Jesus is not a savior. Jesus is the savior. Jesus has come to deliver the world from death sin and the demonic, and even our own accusing hearts. Jesus is the Christ, announced even before. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And how do we know that he can save us? And how do we know he's the one that we've waited for for so long? Well, he is Lord. 
Kyrios is the name in Greek. It means authority incarnate. He has been born with power even as a baby over sin and over death and over the demonic. He wants us, that is, Gabriel wants us and these shepherds to understand who's being born. See, Lord is just another name for God. He is Yahweh, the same God that walked with Adam and Eve, the same God that talked to Abraham, the same God that saved Joseph, the same God that wrestled with Jacob, the same God that met, met Moses at the burning bush, the same God that David sung to, the same God that Solomon built the temple for, the same God that spoke through the prophet Micah is actually now landed on earth. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Well, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and, and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people on whom his favor rests. At that moment, choirs upon choirs of heaven show up and millions upon millions of angels break out, whether chanting or singing, we do not know. Glory to God in the highest. Why does this matter? Well, here's why it matters. As one scholar says, Jews, Jewish scholars, when they read the New Testament, are shocked when they read this. And they've recognized the similarity between this song sung in the honor and worship of Jesus and the song sung by the angels to the Lord of hosts in the temple in Jerusalem. Luke again is shifting the focus from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The host of angels has now moved from the temple to praise the new presence of God found in Bethlehem in a farmer's field. The highest place in the universe has come like a flood down to the lowest place and as unmerited, his merciful favor now comes. And since God is now present... Here's the one offer he gives us. Peace. Look at our world. This is the one thing we have very little of now. So little peace left. Doesn't matter how religious you are and how many pilgrimages you go on. If you sit on the table at home and there's no peace, who cares? There's so little peace between family members these days. There's so little peace between nations. And yet he comes and he says, no, no. The one who's being born actually can provide and give peace. Uh, shalom, justice, universal healing, reconciliation between God and humanity. Jesus' birth gives us something that we cannot actually achieve ourselves. He, he gives us peace, but his peace challenges us. Why? Because our world, and many of us here, still believe that money, power, sex, military might, status, and education give peace, and they don't. But this baby, this one, says he can give us peace, and he will, and he does, and he'll break into our routines and actually says, I don't only really just know you. At this moment, the reason why I've come is so you can actually move from mundaneness and boringness and lostness and satisfaction and you could also actually move away from escapism and also even pilgrimage to places and find me, and I'll give you peace. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to another, we need to go to Bethlehem right now to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in that manger. And see, here it is. Here's the first true New Testament example of genuine pilgrimage. They choose to walk and to run and find. That is, in this unexpected moment, this unexpected gift, this unexpected invitation now becomes genuine pilgrimage. Not just to know about God's existence or travel to some holy place where something happened, but nothing is now there, but to find him now. Not just to know about God's existence, but to be in relationship with him now. In other words, here's what is being declared this first Christmas. Trade your great fear for joy, because I have come to deliver you. I'm Savior, 
I've come to give you joy for I'm the long-awaited one. I've come to give peace because I'm the Lord. There's no sin I cannot forgive. There is no regret I cannot heal. There is not anything that you have done to another person or something that has been to you, done to you that I cannot change the situation. There is actually no thing that is too large that I cannot overcome. In other words, he says, death is not even strong enough to stop my love. Actually, I can teach you things you don't even understand, such as sitting in this room today, there are a few of you where your biggest barrier to genuine pilgrimage to encounter Jesus is you just believe in your heart you could never forgive someone. It is an impossibility for you to ever consider that you could forgive that person who hurt you. And here's what Jesus says to you today. No, no. The reason why I came and why I'm here is not only so you have a relationship with God the Father and you have peace, but I can actually tell you and teach you and transform you so you would have the ability to forgive others. You cannot by yourself, but with me, you can. I can give you peace that does not exist anywhere else. Well, when they saw him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told to them about this child. And all that heard it were amazed at what the shepherds were saying to them. Oh, and here's the second little point. Those who are real pilgrims, that is those who actually pilgrimage to actually encounter a person, not a place, and get out of the routine and the boring and the lostness, when you meet Jesus, suddenly you become a pioneer. It's funny, if you've read your Bible for many years, if you grew up in church, maybe you've missed this. The shepherds are actually the very first evangelists in our movement. They're the very first ones to ever take new ground. They're not just outsiders in their own culture. They're even outsiders in Jesus' own family. They had nothing to do with Jesus' family, but they're the first ones to speak about him. Great fear had now moved to great joy. But do not miss this again as we begin this Advent season together. To become a pilgrim actually takes God to start the conversation. And the good news that we celebrate as Christians is God made the first move. As Joanna LaFleur wrote, our communications director this week on Instagram, the shepherds were pilgrims, unexpected and unlikely, interrupted in their work by an invitation from heaven. In an instant, they moved from shepherd to saint, from hundrum to holy, from unnamed to the name that's above every name, from fear to faith. So let me just very simply say this this morning. Let it once again be proclaimed in this place and in Port Perry, and in this time in 2017, and in this region called Durham, and in this city called the GTA, and in this country called Canada, and in this world at this moment, that heaven has and continues to lovingly interrupt us, continues to invite us to pilgrimage that leads to peace. If you're lost here this morning, genuinely lost, there is one person that can actually find you and lead you home. For you who are, or for the many of us that are preoccupied, busy and consumed by life, the goods and the bads, whether bills, again, or entertainment, or travel, or jobs, or life, or kids, or friendships, I just want to remind you, in our mass frenetic pace, there is someone who is worth your time. And actually, what's amazing about him is he can deal with the fear that drives your busyness. And also, he can give you something more satisfying so you don't need to escape all the time in entertainment. For you who think you're satisfied this morning, what you've not fully yet understood is there's someone who can bring a deeper, more uh, profound satisfaction to you. 
Let's just be honest this Christmas. Lasting satisfaction that transcends money, education, jobs, age, stage, and travel is not guaranteed in this life. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't change and he guarantees it in him. So let me say it this way. Real pilgrimage is to a person, not a place. Pilgrimage that is real moves to a person and that person gives us peace. Here's how Jesus' best friend put it so long ago in John 1.9. There's a true light, the true light, that gives light to everyone and it was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though and through the world, though it was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which were his own, but they did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in the name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but just born of God. Very simply, with no manipulation or moment, here's just what I want to say to everyone. If you are a person here today who has never genuinely encountered Jesus, like really, maybe you're here because you just took the Alpha course and you still didn't say yes. Or maybe you've been dragged here by family or friends or a wife that wants you to get it. I don't know. Let me just say these again, very simple words to you. Jesus is alive and he's real. And Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And if you would choose to meet him, you would become a child of God. And that is the whole reason for this. And our life and our world is preoccupied, like I've said, with travel for escape or travel for work. Many, many deeply religious people go on pilgrimage all over the world to holy places but do not find God. And the rest of us are just trying to live life. But Jesus comes into all of those environments and says, no, no. Actually, if you meet me, I will give you joy I will give you peace, I will give you forgiveness, and actually you will have eternal life. And if you have never made that decision, you just need to simply say, Lord Jesus Christ, this Christmas, I want to encounter you, to meet you, to be transformed by you, to be changed by you, and in doing so, actually find this peace the Bible promises, because I do not have it. Here's the only other challenge I want to give us today, and then in our communities, we're going to take communion in both of our sites later. To many of us who are Christians here today, this season is so normal, beyond the busyness of what we're doing at malls and homes and eggnog and all of that. This is something we do because this is our deal. But I want to remind you of this very important thing as we enter into the season together. I'd like every one of us who is a Christian to make the decision this Christmas to actually spend time with Jesus. I was saying before I got on the stage today, if Christians refuse to spend time with Jesus, who's going to spend time with him at Christmas? We're the only ones who know him. One of the most significant things in our movement and even in our church, how we define discipleship, is we always say that there are five things that will always, always move you and propel you forward in your faith. And one of them in our discipleship language is walking with Jesus. And here's what we write all the time. We have, we have to take personal responsibility for our own walk with Christ. We believe that spiritual disciplines like scripture and meditation and solitude are always guaranteed places with Jesus. And when you regularly walk with Jesus, it may not always be emotional or felt, but by prioritizing time with Jesus intentionally, you will actually, through the Holy Spirit, actually be encountering Jesus. And over time, you'll be changed in small and large ways. In the next three weeks, our whole culture is going to talk about Jesus for a moment, which is a great moment for invitation. But for all of us who know him, like really know him and love him. And we are putting our everything, all our chips are on him. 
I'd encourage you in the next three weeks to stop in the middle of the insanity of the season and to spend time with him. When's the last time you said to Jesus, thank you for coming? When's the last time you stopped and just had a coffee with Jesus or maybe you do your devotions in the chair? There's a chair you always like sitting in or there's a place. When did you sit with him and did you say, you know what? Thanks that you've given me peace. When, when's the last time you said, what do you want to tell me about yourself in this season? When's the last time you just stopped in the middle of the insanity of Christmas and said, I know that you're not a place but a person and I get to meet with you. When's the last time you just sat with him in the Christmas season and said, what's new for this year? What do you want to talk to me about from the last year? What do you want to heal me from? What do you want to convict me from? What, what encouragement do you have for me? Because again, in this moment, this is our season where we celebrate the one we all personally know. And yet my suspicion is many of us never actually take the time to sit with the one who's alive. So can I encourage you in this season to really think through how you in the next 15 days are going to intentionally sit with the living Jesus who you know and say, thank you, and to hear him speak. Could we just pray about this so God would begin to make some space for us in this season? Lord, number one, here's a few things we want to pray. Number one, there are hundreds and hundreds of people across our church who are considering talking to you and meeting you for the first time. Many people took Alpha, but beyond that, there's all these dialogue and conversations happening we know about where people are unsure. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, we just pray that they would move from the fact that you existed genuinely to faith. We pray that they would actually say, I want actually not just the Christmas story, I want to meet the person at the center of it. And for many others of us, we're busy and preoccupied and we love you and we're so thankful for you. But here's my prayer. Lord Jesus, would you begin to clear out some time, carve out some time in this Advent season so we get to hang out with you and be close to you. Some people sitting here, Lord, and up in Port Perry as I'm praying this are going, but Jesus, I haven't felt you in so long. Is it worth it? So Lord, would you come close to them? But my prayer is there just be a closeness and a proximity among us as we celebrate your birth. But not only that, that we know that you're living at this moment. Come close, we pray. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion today, which of course is the right thing to do. Would you all stand with me as we get ready to do this up top to This is an amazing thing to do at Christmas because we understand the reason why Jesus was born was to actually die to give us life. And so actually, though many churches don't celebrate communion at Christmas, it's actually one of the most significant things we can do. And I just want to remind you what the scriptures say. Number one, we are told that when we serve communion, that Jesus is here at these tables. He's not in these emblems, but he's present. We're also reminded that this is the symbol of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And what the angel promised at Christmas, that we'd have joy and peace come through this act, that Jesus died and rose again. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're most welcome to this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've declared him as Savior and Lord, you're welcome to the communion experience and say, yes, thank you. The scriptures are clear that we're supposed to take a moment to evaluate ourselves, to see if there's any unrepented sin in us, and just say we're sorry before we come, to agree with what God says about that thing. The scriptures also teach very clearly, too, that if actually you're on the run from Jesus, though you are a Christian, you should not take this until you're ready to come home. If you're not a Christian yet today, that's okay. We're so glad you're with us, but we'd ask you not to take this because this actually symbolizes a faith you've not embraced and a person you've not said yes to. But like I say, every time I do this, this is an amazing place to meet him. 
And so let me just take a moment to bless these elements and let us come with this expectancy that we're going to meet him as you come forward. So Lord Jesus, though these are just juice and bread, you are at these tables. And you are the one who was born 2,000 years ago and now you are among us by your spirit right now. And we don't have to travel to some faraway place to try finding you. You're here. So now right across this place as people come forward, Lord Jesus, would you meet them? Would you forgive sins? Would you heal people? Would you comfort them? Would you assure them? Would you give them hope? So Lord Jesus, we we sang this at this site today. We welcome you and you are welcome here. So now, Lord, come close and meet us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.